Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. This morning, we're in Acts chapter 2. Why don't you turn there? Acts chapter 2. Go ahead and go there with me. Acts chapter 2 in your Bibles. And as you're turning there, I'm going to invite up uh, Mrs. Renee is coming up, and she's going to lead us this morning in the reading of God's Word from Acts chapter 2. And as you get there, why don't you stand with Renee and I as we get into our passage this morning. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and the simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we thank you this morning for privilege and and the true opportunity that we have before us to hear from you through your word, to be spoken to by you. What a thought, God, that you would look into and onto our individual lives with care and concern for who we are. And you would speak to us. You would reach to us and communicate with us. We believe that's your heart and that's your intention for our time together this morning. And so we come and and as we've just heard your word and read your word, we now ask God that you would help us to receive your word. To receive the implanted word with meekness, the word that's able to save our souls. So God, open our hearts today. Maybe we think they're open and they need to be opened a little bit more. Whatever the case may be, God, we come to you. We ask you to open our hearts, open our minds to what you want to illuminate and what you want to speak to us. And certainly we ask, Holy Spirit, would you speak? Give us ears to hear what you're saying. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Hey, I want to mention as well, I just had this thought before we get into this. If you get to the point where you're like super flustered, a little too much for you, I know we have some Prego mamas in the house, just remember we do have a family viewing room over in the Souls Kids area, and from what, I, what I've learned, the kids over there have great air conditioning at this moment, and so I'm sorry to even use that phrase, but anyway, okay, let's continue. Hey, um, 
Well, this morning, as I said, Acts 2, as we read Acts 2, and I want to say this morning we are on the last stop, the last stop of a short detour that I believe the Holy Spirit has led us on as a church. Uh, we've been on, a, on an intentional, we should say, detour. I'm thinking about a vacation that my wife and I took with the Hogans earlier this summer with Brian and Angela. We got away. Um, our kids actually stayed home. Uh, with with someone, obviously, and we got away for the week, uh, got to go to a really cool golf resort out there, it was Brittany's idea, I'm like, a golf resort, I don't know, I, okay, like, if you want to, babe, I guess I'll go with you, um, and uh, it was such a sweet time, and what was so fun about the car pull over, the caravan, we had our two minivans, and in traveling with Brian Hogan is he is like a traveler connoisseur, he's all about the experience and the journey, and so we took the, the goal wasn't to get there, you know, as fast as possible. The goal was, to t- goal was to take some intentional detours and to make some great stops, you know, for beef jerky along the way, for beautiful drives across the state. There actually are some really beautiful stops as you go through Florida. Uh, his most, I remember Brian, like, the thing he was most pumped about, he sent us the Google Maps with, like, eight stops on the way. And one of the main things that he was most excited about was for us to drive through a small little city in the middle of Florida that's called Florida, Florida. That's a real place. Where are you from? Florida. Florida? Yes. Okay. So that was, for Brian, that was like the height of the, of the moment. He kept talking about it. It was an intentional detour that was necessary, and I feel the same way about this little mini-series that we've been doing here. Uh, the road trip that we've been on, from a larger perspective, has been through the book of Ephesians. We've been studying this incredible first century letter that Pastor Paul wrote to a young church like ours that met in a school like ours. And this is a church that Paul is writing to, encouraging them uh, to be rooted in their positions, and the key phrase is, in Christ. Uh, Not so much just living for Christ, that's what we tend to think about as Christians, but the most important thing about being a, a follower of Jesus is knowing the position you've been placed in through the gospel and knowing the, how, how to live from that place. We're not trying to live into something. Jesus already did that for us. Amen? Okay, a couple nods. That's all right. We'll, we'll get there. All right? Jesus already did that for us. But because of what he's done, we can now live from this position. And every chapter in Ephesians and every section is really just expounding on what that looks like, what it means to be in Jesus. As we got to chapter 5, we've begun to explore the idea of what it means to be soulless in Christ. What it means to be us, the church. I mean, that's what chapter 5 gets into. Christ uh, and the church as a picture of a husband and wife's marriage. We talked about husbands and wives, and now we've been on this Brian Hogan-esque detour. uh, Exploring what Jesus has to say, listen to this, to us, about us. That's awesome. It's awesome that God has things to say to us about us as a church. And so we started really zoomed out with this. That's where Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5 leads us. Paul's writing to a local church, but when he starts to talk about the church, he zooms out in Ephesians 5 to help them understand the first of, of three things that we looked at, which was who they were and, or their identity. This was week one. Who, who is the church? Or maybe we could say it this way. Who are we as solas, as a church? And and Paul would lead us to understand that as a local church, we exist as like this small local expression of a larger family, this universal family. 
this, this family that's made up of every tribe, nation, and tongue from, out, from throughout history and all across the globe. And, and here at Solus, we are like this beautiful, small expression in our context of that. That's who we are. We are a local expression of this family of God that is uniquely defined by their relationship to Jesus. The week after, we asked the question, okay, that's who we are, but why are we? Why do we exist? Why are we here? Why are we in a middle school right now? Okay, like why are we doing this? We looked also at this incredible reality that as a local church, we exist as a small part of a greater story. That there's something major going on in the world that's been happening since even the fall of man, but especially since the arrival of Jesus, there is this promise of God's kingdom being advanced here on the earth. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus had this global vision of the church, this idea that the kingdom of God was going to move forward in power and bring healing and restoration to all the nations, even Boca Raton, Florida, even South Florida. And so we're here why are we here? Because there's an ultimate kingdom purpose that we get to fit into. I love that. It's bigger than us. But it's through us. Isn't that cool? Like it's bigger than any one church. It's bigger than any one pastor. It's bigger than any one person. But we're a part of it. And we get to be a part of it. And that's an exciting, humbling, awesome opportunity. Now, the week after, which is last week, we talked about what? Okay, so who we are, local expression of this family. Why are we here? We exist to play our small part in this really big story of God making all things new. Well, well then what are we doing, right? And, and what does it look like? And we zoomed into Matthew 28 last week. We talked about this idea of making disciples. This is Jesus' vision of the local church. The church is a context in which followers of Jesus are being helped along as disciples of Jesus. The church exists primarily, not only, because there's some other things we're called to, but everything else must flow from the center point of this thing called discipleship. Uh, this was Jesus' vision of the church. I taught on what that looks like last week. You can go back to it. But here's what Jesus says, uh, or rather, this is what Jesus implies uh, the local church exists as this community of baptized believers. He says, go into the world and baptize people. That's this external expression of their redemption. And, and there, this, this community is learning and being led. Here's how the church is to, pastors and leaders are, are to lead those believers in the church to live in the way of Jesus together as disciples. Like, that's what we're here to do. It's not about growing out a room or about accomplishing some metric. It's, it's about ultimately, if there is a metric, it's are we following Jesus more deeply? And are we being led into a deeper life of discipleship to him? Now, this is Jesus' vision of the church, this community being led and learning to, to follow Jesus together as disciples. And it's also what we see modeled, isn't it, in the passage we just read? In Acts 2, we see the display of this. We see a, a mega church birth through one sermon. What an incredible moment at the outpouring of the Spirit been called the birth of the church here 3,000 souls are added to the church 3,000 conversions and the symbol of that conversion the invitation to display that faith is through baptism and then that baptized community they begin to devote themselves to living in a certain way together as disciples right that's what we saw there acts 2 is the first ever local church and in that local church, we see this being fleshed out. Well, this morning, I want us to zoom into our final look 
I mean, you know me, I could get microscopic on all this stuff. And so I, with discipline, I'm going to stop here this morning after this, and we'll get back to Ephesians, Lord willing. All right. But this morning, I want to ask the question, how? I'm going to ask and answer this question. Who are we? Why are we? What are we doing? At the end of the day, we got to stop and go, okay, great, vision, big upstairs theory, theology stuff, but how does it get to the floor? How are we seeking to do this? What's our strategy for helping you, for me as well, follow Jesus into what he has for us? Um, Here's the short answer, then I'll expound on it. Uh, We have what we call, as our strategy of discipleship, uh, our discipleship pathway. Um, Our discipleship pathway just want to kind of give it to you up front. We'll kind of back up, and then we'll go into to detail. But our discipleship pathway is, is essentially that. It's a strategic framework for how we're, we're organizing ourselves as a community in, under the way of Jesus. These are four communal practices that we as church members and church family orient our lives around as we follow Jesus. It's a discipleship pathway. I, I really believe that if we as a community, we purpose to gather to connect in relationship, to grow intentionally, and to go outwardly locally into the world, I I believe that we will be on a pathway of discipleship to Jesus. We'll be following Jesus. Um, I think Acts 2, let me say this. Acts chapter 2, this passage we just read with the first local church, we see they're baptized, and we see them actually living in this like discipleship pathway together. For me, I think it's one of the best places for us to look when we begin to talk about ministry strategy. Because what, what I see in Acts chapter 2 is something that I think we're after as a church. Um, and I would call it a, a healthy balance um, with a, a ministry tension that exists in every kind of church ministry, Jesus, Holy Spirit context. And it's this kind of tension. It's the tension that we'll call a tension between the organic and the organized. There's a tension here. It's a, I believe it's a God-given, healthy tension. There's a tension in life and ministry. And how many of us know this is not just life and ministry or ministry. This is also regular life. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, you know what it's like to be, have like no order and organization in your relationship with God? And you know that doesn't always like trip. You don't always trip and fall into depth of intimacy with God. So we're like, okay. But how many of us also know what it's like to be so stuck in structure? You're like, Holy Spirit, are you, are you here? Do you have room to come and be here and do unplanned things? You know? um, that, that's something we want. But we know that there is, is almost like we could say a danger and an opportunity. There's a danger between extremes here and an opportunity when we have them together. Um, we know, again, the danger of, of being overly organized, but there's an opportunity. I mean, every church is really too organized trying to get organic or too organic and trying to get organized. I wonder where you think we fall in that. Way too organized, this young church. is trying to be more organic. Um, there's an opportunity. When things are too organized, there's an opportunity for, for organic things to happen if we make room for that. I remember as a high school youth pastor, I had... In responsibility to my calling as a leader, I had taken such serious thought and concern to how I was going to make disciples of high school students. 
Can I tell you, if you could grow in that, you can make a disciple of anyone, by the way. But that was my, my calling in my life for, for eight years. My wife and I both leading a high school ministry. It was like, how do we do this? These aren't even people. They're someone else's people. These are kids. Like, how do we, like, it's like they have time, but it's not their time. And so I remember, like, the Lord really calling us to seek him. And he gave us something, like, for, just for our little, you know, cute little high school ministry. Like, how do you do this well? And so many different lives were, were blessed by that order and organization. But then I remember a high school camp we had. You could argue that was organization because we ended up there. That's fine. But something organic happened. One of our students had a radical encounter with the presence and the person of Jesus. I mean, when I say his life was transformed, I mean different person. And here's how you know, different heart. Do you know what I'm talking about? Different. And everything else followed that. And his transformation was like dynamite in our youth group. I, and and there, there's a, for me as a, as a youth pastor, I'm looking at him, it's like, wow. These, and they started doing like, the, the ministry, they're like, we're going to start just going around Boca and downtown. We're just going to go up to people, ask if we can pray for them. See if God would like have us, like maybe there's a healing, maybe there's like a word of not, like these like really spiritual, like book of Acts things. They're like, we're just hungry for God and we want to see him move. And here we are, the Jesus generation. Amen? Like we want him. And what a humbling thing for me. Because <laughs> it had nothing to do with me. And I worked really hard, okay, on my little cute little discipleship vision. I believe God called me to. I believe God used it. But it was a great reminder. You know, we need to be reminded that ministry at the end of the day, it's not about us, amen? It's about what the Holy Spirit wants to do. So we yield that. And it was a great lesson for me to learn, oh, I'm not central to any of this. He is. I just get to go with my dad to work. That's ministry. But then things got out of hand. There was a need at, at, at one point to be like, hey, this is great what's happening here. 3,000 souls getting birthed. I mean, but you'll see in Acts chapter 6, you know what starts to happen? The church grows to a number that's unmanageable. And everyone's like, this is organic. This is awesome. And then there's certain widows in the church that are like, it's not awesome for us. We're being neglected. There's a lack of order. And this is really important because I think there's a tendency, listen, because we all know what it's like for the Holy Spirit to be organized out of the church. But we can, as a almost unhealthy reaction, we can begin to idolize the organic. The powers and just not having a plan. Just show up. Don't even turn the air on. Just, <laughs> just get in that place and like, See how the wind blows. Wow, that prophetic. We pray, Lord, in Jesus. And it can sort of, and I think like, I think you end up in an unhealthy place with that as well. Where we can idolize the organic. We forget that God is a God of order. That God inspires by the power of his spirit, his people to build his tabernacle with great detail. Do you remember that whole thing in the Old Testament? That God is not just concerned for powerful explosions of the spirit, but God is also concerned with the infrastructure that leads to health and development and care and ministry. And, and so we see this in Acts chapter 2. We see this healthy tension. There's, first of all, there's something organic happening. What I love here about this passage in Acts 2 
is that you have 3,000 people, over 3,000 people that are now following Jesus that have somehow assembled themselves into small groups. That's incredible. There's no small groups pastor that we know of. Even if we did, he didn't have an iPhone back then. So I don't know if he's like, hey, you guys, you go to Bill's house. Like, I don't know what he did. It almost appears like this was organic, like healthy, like natural, like the Holy Spirit. Like, believe it or not, like, you don't always need the church to tell you what, you know, how, like how to be a Christian. You could just be a Christian sometimes, you know. Like, here's a small group where you can gather with other Christians. Okay, good. I can go be with it. It's like, it's, isn't it cool when, like, the church just is the church? You know what I'm saying? So that's happening here in Acts 2. They're just a set, they're, it's very organic, it's healthy. But we also see organization. We see the need for greater leadership moving forward, but we see the tension balanced. It tells us in, in verse 42 that they continue steadfastly in some practices and rhythms. Don't we see that? Even house to house became an organized rhythm. They didn't idolize the organic, they lived in it, but they also said, Holy Spirit, bring structure to this so that it can grow. In fact, when it says there that they continued in prayers, uh, most Bible scholars and, and Old Te- uh, New Testament scholars will tell you, and historical scholars will tell you, that at that time, there were set hours of prayer that the church would assemble around. Like, this is the time that we gather to pray. And, and so there was a sense of, of structure around it, but not in a negative way, we'll say, a positive way. Uh, kind of like our discipleship pathway. I think this is what we're going for. In, in our discipleship pathway, we're not saying that this is the only way that a disciple can be made at Solace, but this is the primary way we feel led to go. And it's through orienting ourselves, like the early church did, what we'll call around, another phrase for this is a rule of life. You ever heard that phrase? A rule of life. It's, it's a phrase that's used to describe, um, but here's the truth. Every one of us have a, has a rule of life. And don't think rule as in like rules. You're like, I got, yeah, I got a rule of life. Like, no, don't think like that. Think the, the Latin word for rule is where we get the word trellis for like a vine. It's a structure that is determining who you're growing into. Does that make sense? So we all have patterns and habits and rhythms to our life. We have them in our family. I have them in my personal life. And those rhythms are shaping who we're becoming, like it or not. Like today, you have a rule of life, and it's determining who you're becoming. You have a trellis. It's determining how you're growing. You you have rhythms that are affecting who you're becoming. And what we want to say is, like, we we really, uh, we recognize first that we have a great opportunity to become like Jesus, and we're called to that. And we also recognize that that doesn't happen naturally, okay? That we don't just follow Jesus on accident and walk with him deeply on accident and proclaim him, that there's some intention around following him, and and that's really what the pathway is about. This is what, what I would say is like a communal rule of life for us. If we're following Jesus, we're like, Jesus, we want to orient our lives around gathering, connecting, growing, and going. This is our our rule of life. And and to live in this way, can I tell you, like maybe more practically, if if Solace is your church home, to live in this way or not is maybe the difference between you being a nominal church attender and an actual disciple of Jesus. Now, again, don't hear that legalistically. There might be other ways that you're doing it. But we're after all of Jesus and all that he has for us as disciples here. Amen? And so we want to follow him into this. Let's talk about these different practices that we employ. The first is the practice of gathering. We gather. Here's how we would say it in a more robust way. Um, as a church community following Jesus, we gather around Jesus as a unified people. 
We physically assemble wherever we can, like the early church. Any, 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 uh, any opportunity there is to gather in a place, preferably with certain conditions, right? And, and any, any way that we can assemble ourselves uh, as the church around Jesus, as a unified people, we're going to seek to do that. The, the word used for church in the Greek in the New Testament is the word ekklesia. It's not a uniquely historically Christian word. It's just an assembly of people. What makes a Christian is we're the ecclesia of Jesus, we're the church of Jesus. But it literally means to be an assembled people. So we, we gather. We gather together. We see that happening here in the book of Acts. They continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They don't just lead a bunch of people to pray a prayer and just you know, throw some water on them. Okay, you're, you're good. Now go follow Jesus as best as you can. They're like, no, we need to bring you into the family of God, and we're going to orient our lives around Jesus together. We're going to gather around him in prayer and in the word and fellowship. It says in Acts 2.46 that they continue daily with one accord as a unified people. Um, by the way, the context here is different languages, different backgrounds. But their commonality is now Jesus. And so they're one together and they display that unity by gathering house to house. It would be a great name for a ministry. And they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. We can obey that one, right? For where they're, oh, sorry, we'll, we'll, we'll cap it there. So, so this, is, this is the practice of that church, gathering around Jesus. And as I just kind of alluded to there in that sneaky verse that came up, um, this was Jesus' heart for his people, that we would exist as a gathered people. He, he told his disciples in Matthew 18, for where, there, where two or three are gathered together, I love this, in my name, I am there in the midst of them. There's a couple other times that Jesus promises where he can be especially found. There's a couple times where Jesus is like, he's, he says, if you go to the secret place, the Father's there. You want to you find, like I'm looking for God, go to the secret place where it's you and him, where you know he's there. Recognize them, him in secret. He's, he's to be found in secret. In Matthew 23, Jesus says that you could also find him, where can I find Jesus? You can find him um, in company with the lost and the lonely and the least of these. He says, I just want to find Jesus. Well, go where he is. Go where he is. Where is he? He's in broken places usually, bringing healing and restoration. You can find him there. And then here, Matthew 18, Jesus says, you can find me as you gather around me. As my people come together, can I just tell you something? You cannot replace the power of, the, of God's presence in the gathering of his people. There's just something that we can't, like, there's so many other ways to do it. I'm not talking about methodology. I'm talking about theology here of what happens when God's people who have been saved and redeemed by him gather together around him to hear him, to experience him. There's a promised power in the gathering of God's people. There's a promised presence in the gathering of God's people. This is why this became the norm for the church. It wasn't just an Acts 2 thing. I love 1 Corinthians 5. Just, this is the whole verse right here. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I love this, when you are gathered together. Like, this is the norm. Not if, but when you gather yourselves together. Um, for this to be the norm of the church isn't a new thing. Let's stop for a second. When we talk about God and his people. God's people being gathered around him. In scripture, we see that it's, it's both a historical thing. Like, it's, God has always been into, like, getting his people together around him so saving people bringing them into his family being like okay now come together show up in the middle school and gather around me 
This is consistent with how God leads his people in the Old Testament. It's also consistent with how God orients his people in the new heavens and the new earth, dwelling among them in eternity. I I love this picture from the Old Testament of how God called Israel to camp out around the tabernacle. What a picture. Like God's people were literally to position themselves. There's a bunch of tribes. Like in our church, we have a bunch of different groups, different, you know, but we, we come together as a unified people around him. The tabernacle was the place where the presence of God was. And we have a picture of that in the Old Testament. Um, and, and then, remember, there's a great book called the Book of Ephesians, where Paul, he tells us that, that the work of the gospel and, and the work of the kingdom in the world is going to culminate into a very big gathering one day. Like, if you're not into church gatherings and you're a Christian, like, I got news, like, there's a big one coming. Like, not a lot of elbow room kind of a thing. Like, a lot of people. It says, in, in, remember this, we studied this um, 10 years ago in Ephesians 1. In, that was a joke. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, notice this, here's what's to come. Ultimately, it's all leading to this. He might gather together in one all things in Christ. This is what he's done with Jew and Gentile, both which are in heaven and are in earth. I can't wait to worship Jesus with my mom who's gone on to heaven, those in heaven and on earth. I can't wait to to worship Jesus alongside John Calvin and John Wesley, all the great reformers and leaders, the apostle Paul. Me and Peter are gonna be homies. I get first dibs on Peter, by the way. But there's this future gathering around. You see it there in Revelation. That ev- Listen, Revelation has a center stage. Heaven has a center stage. And there's a centerpiece on that center stage. It's a throne. Jesus sits on that throne. Right now, he's reigning and ruling from that throne. And heaven is a place where we gather around that throne. He's at the center. Um, I like what Britt Merrick, famous surfboard shaper for Channel Islands and Al Merrick Surfboards, and also one of my all-time favorite preachers, he said this, that the gathered church exists to be a historic continuation and prophetic foretaste of God being at the center of his people. You're not just at church this morning, amen? You are a, we are a historic continuation of something. And we're a prophetic foretaste of what's to come. God is at the center of his people. So that's what we do. We gather together around Jesus. Here's just a couple thoughts. Just a couple. A couple ways that we do this. We gather. What do we do when we gather? We gather first in worshipful service. We serve one another. That's what the Bible is like. When you come together, like we, have, we serve each other. We serve one another in love. You know, every Sunday... The church is activated here. We get, like, serve, our different, like, serve teams, like, we have a setup team, kids team, tech, like, we have all these teams of ministry. Those are, okay, listen, those serve teams are not for a small group of people to do some stuff so that the church can gather. That's how we gather as the church. Does that make sense? We gather to worship God in our service. It's part of being in the family. It's like you do the dishes. You know, you help out around the house. It's like, it's what we do to the glory of God. It's how we gather. We gather in worshipful service. We gather in musical praise. We begin our service making sure we know why we're here by turning our attention to King Jesus. We sing to him in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. 
We gather in loving fellowship with one another. And because we don't have all the opportunity to do that here, because we do have a lease that runs up at a certain time, we have a little one-minute mingle even. Let's take one minute in the service to just stop and look at each other in the face and say good morning, to, to, to greet one another with grace and peace. Loving fellowship. We want to make sure we keep the church about the church. We, we spend time in biblical exposition. We, we gather and we open God's word and we learn what God has to say. We learn what he said. We receive his word so that we can live. We, you know, Christian living is connected to Christian learning. There's indicatives, things that are true, and then there's imperatives, how you live out of that. But it's more than that. We also gather for spiritual receptivity. Like, one could argue that, you know, here's, here's the person arguing, okay? Hey, Andrew, okay? If the church is centered on Jesus, why are you up there on a stage right now? You should be on the floor, okay, or something. Or like, I guess, sitting with you, talking like this. I don't know what I would do, but like, and there's a thought, and, and maybe because a lot of times in church we make the pastor the center of the church. But can I tell you, like, what we're doing right now is not a me thing, it's an us thing. God's called me to, to teach what he's spoken, what I believe he's spoken, but we're all here as, listen, active listeners. You're not here to just hear a sermon preached, you're here because the Spirit of God is speaking stuff and you're called to listen to him. Let him who has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit's saying to the church. So, there, you know, there's passive listening, which is just kind of like, what does this guy have to say, you know? What point is he on, you know? It's like. And then there's a posture, which, like, there's some of you, not all of you, but some of you, I'll see your notebooks open, and it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. And it's like, wow, this, my, my notebook open is a symbol of the fact, or my, whatever you, however you do it, your phone, okay, whatever. It's like, you're saying, Jesus, you want to speak to me? So I'm expecting you to. I'm it's a posture of listening. And I, I think what you have to say is important enough to write down. Like more than a grocery list that I don't want to forget, you know? You following that? So it's like I, I have a posture. I'm like, God, it's not about Andrew. It's about the Holy Spirit and what he's saying to us. Amen? Like collectively and individually. Like if you come to Solas to judge the sermon, you're missing what God's trying to say to you. Don't let yourself be a judge of the word let the word of god judge you listen to the word of god what is he speaking i've heard so many people like complain about their own churches and like oh they don't like i don't like this i don't like listen like what if you just gave a month to saying i'm just here to hear what the spirit might say to me and if it's one thing that was worth my time there's something to that there's something to that posture so obviously i'm very passionate about that point okay gospel remembrance we gather we have the Lord's table before us. As we close here, we're going to gather around the gospel, remember what Christ has done, who we are in him. And lastly, we gather around missional purpose. We gather to recenter our, our lives around the priorities of God in the world. We're like, okay, there's a bigger purpose for my business. There's a bigger purpose for my life. We center around that. Amen? All right, we also connect. We connect in fellowship with each other as family. We gather around Jesus. We gather around Jesus as a unified people. But we also, we, we connect in fellowship with, with each other as family. We see that practice in the early church as well. That they continue steadfastly in fellowship, commonality, unified brotherhood. The idea here is now we're family and we want to function that way. 
This is a high value of mine personally. Like, I really care about relationally driven ministry. Sometimes to a fault, and I get hurt a lot because I become everyone's best friend. That's neither here nor there, okay? The church exists to be a community that, that functions like a family. And so we fellowship with one another. And we have to do that creatively, you know? This isn't our church building. We don't have a fellowship hall. We have a teacher's lounge. And, and so... And I would love to have like potlucks. That would be sick. Like potlucks every Sunday. We're going to our little fellowship hall. And like there's like little granny's casserole. I would love that. Okay. So we, we got to be creative. So we, we employ hospitality like the early church. And we gather house to house. It's like we create opportunities to connect in homes and all sorts of other things. Like uh, we're, we do events. We're like, let's go. We go to the beach. That's like part of our discipleship pathway. You know, it's like going to the beach as a church. And we, we hang out, we surf, we goof off, we, we, we have a special events. Uh, this October, we're having a men's golf event. Excited for that. I don't know whose idea that was, okay? Um, we're having a, a women's event in the fall. We, we, we look for different ways to make sure that we're functioning as a family. That's the way that the scriptures would call us to function. Uh, I like First Timothy 5. Paul is telling Timothy how the church is to look. And he, he calls him as a young man, how to relate to the different members of the church. He says, don't rebuke an older man. There's honor there. Exhort him as a father. Speak to younger men in the church as brothers. Look at the older women in the church as mothers. Look at the younger women. Protect them, men. Look at them as sisters. Be a covering of purity and love and support to them. What a vision for what a church is to look like, right? It's this like multi-generational family of fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. Now, I think with that vision, with our church, because it's really cool. Like I look out here right now and I see all of that. I see different colors of hair. You know what I'm saying? I see fathers. I see mothers in the faith. I see brothers and I see sisters. You know, in gathering house to house um, and having events to connect is not just about making sure relationships are made. But listen, it's making sure that we as a church, can I say this? Like this is, I, I feel this deep in my heart for our church, that we wouldn't be a church that's segregated and separated to our groups. Find your group. Do that. Find your tribe. But there's a difference between like having a tribe and being tribal. There's a difference between, like, finding your click and being, what, clicky. You know what I mean? And that, that doesn't look like a clicky. Ch that looks like a church where, like, every, um, everybody's relating to each other despite what, what I'll call our, our God-given gaps. We have God-given gaps. There's generational gaps. There's life stage gaps. There's core group gaps that you find. There's, how many of us know that there's personality, God-given personality gaps? There's just, like, things that you're into that would connect you with some people over others. And these are all God-given things, you know? Um, but I have a, a passion to see Solus be a church that with its differences is still united as a family. And I talked last week about the need to have the older folks in the church pouring into the younger folks. And younger folks, go out of your way and make friends with someone that's not in your same gap. You understand? That's not in your same circle. This is the vision of the church, and it's why we do house to house. We don't do house to house for you to double down in your group. There's other things for that. We do house to house to function as a family. I think that's important. Amen? If you say amen, it makes me preach faster, okay? 
whoa, chill, okay? <laughs> That's awesome. Jot this down. How are we seeking to follow Jesus as a church? We're gathering around him. When we gather, we recenter, and we recenter together. We connect with each other in fellowship as a family. We make sure that we don't segregate our lives to our own little groups. We find our community, but we also we experience church as it's meant to be a multicultural, multi-generational family. We also grow with intentionality as disciples of Jesus. We carve into our church life rhythms, commitments, time commitments, to be in community and growing as a disciple. We have formation groups for that. We have different, different kinds of community groups for that. But we grow. We have right now the Alpha course. It's been really great to see some new followers. Alpha is really designed for primarily for someone who has questions about Jesus. And it's like, I kind of want to become a Christian, or I'm not sure. Let me learn this, this, what's being said. But it's also for someone who's like, I really am into Jesus, and I want to grow. So I'm going to show up. I'm going I'm to grow. It happens in community. We see that this is, again, that same verse shows us that practice, that they're committing to some things together uh, in order for the purpose of growing. Uh, growing spiritually, let me say it this way, can either happen incidentally or it can happen intentionally. Growing spiritually is an incident. It's often an incidental thing. That's not bad, by the way. Okay. You know, things happen in your life. How many of you guys have like gone through a trial and it grew you? Okay. You weren't, but you weren't like, Lord, can you bring me this, this hell of a storm in my life? I just need to grow. No, you grew incidentally. Okay. But as a disciple of Jesus, like, you need more growth opportunities than what just so happens to happen to you. As followers of Jesus, for the sake of the world and what he's called us to, we want to grow intentionally. We don't want to wait for the storms of life. And usually, if you're not growing intentionally, that storm of life won't hurt you or won't help you. It often will hurt you because you, you didn't have the, the growth to maintain it and persevere. So we don't want to just grow incidentally. We also want to grow intentionally. This is what, what Peter says in 2 Peter. He says to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. It's like, he's like, do it. <laughs> it's something to pursue. And so it's something we also seek to pursue together. I think of, you know, funny illustration of this is these new Christmas palms that we got in the backyard. They're all in like little pots. We just got pots. We got we to gotta pot them. But one of Judah, my 10-year-old's responsibilities has been to water them every day. And to go out there and, and teach him how to do that and not, you know, soak the stereo system that's out there as well. But like, he's learning how to navigate the hose. And the other day, he's like, Dad, I don't have to water. I'm like, why? He's like, it rained. And I was just like, you're a smart kid, okay? And, and that's true. But listen, those plants will die without some intentional watering. So don't just wait for incidents. Don't just wait for water to fall. The Bible says to build yourself up on your most holy faith. Water. The seed. That's what community's for. We grow. Lastly, we'll close with this last one. We go into our world as missionary servants. These are our practices. Uh, literally, you can fit, for the most part, almost every ministry that we have as a church under one of these categories, as rhythms and practices. We gather, we connect, we grow, and lastly, we are a sent community that goes as missionary servants. I love that it says here that the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. This is a community of people that clearly wasn't just sending missionaries like Jimmy, right? 
but understood that they were a sent people themselves, that God had them where they were, where they were at the time they were there for a reason. And this is true of our lives individually, that wherever you are, if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to change your thinking. You have been sent wherever you are. It changes things. I'm sent. I'm a, I'm a servant of the kingdom of God that's been sent by Jesus himself. Jesus said, as the Father sends me, I also send you. And so we want to do that individually, but we also as a church, these are the two like categories of people that we really feel like this year Jesus talks in Matthew 23 about the least. Jesus talks about his heart for the lost. So this year we're just like recognizing that as a church we're called, like we all are called to go, to be the body of Christ, to bring his ministry to both the least and those who are broken and hurting and also to the lost. We've been praying and and asking God to lead us into some of those opportunities. Alpha has been a great opportunity to start to engage that. And we're praying for more ways for us as the church of God to go. Amen? All right. Thanks for asking the question, Andrew, how is Solus making disciples? Thanks for asking it. And I'm happy, hopefully, today to be able to answer that our vision for making disciples is this pathway of life together. Uh, as we close, we're going to have a time of communion where we're going to come to the Lord's table to reflect on ultimately why we're here who Jesus is, um, and also to, to make sure that this isn't like a checklist of things to do, rather a journey we get to be on with Jesus. So let me pray for us. Father, we thank you again for the gathering of, of your people here this morning, and uh, we pray, God, that you were honored in our perseverance in this warm time. Yet also, God, we know that even with the enemy means for evil, you can turn it for good. And so I pray that we were even extra focused on what you had to say today. I know you spoke today, God. We know as we just read that you were, were here. You are here. So now, God, would you turn our hearts to be able to receive the ministry of your table that you've invited us to as we reflect ultimately on the greatest news of all that you've come seeking to save us, to give your life for us that we might know you. Lead us now in this time, we pray in Jesus' name.